Bend it, bend it, bend it. <laughs> ah, skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> Different. <laughs> you should keep all those in there. <laughs> just, 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 ah, skeet, 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 skeet. <laughs> We're hype rappers. We are. So I was uh, grocery shopping the other day. To escape the heat. To escape the heat. Uh-huh. It was very hot. So when it gets hot, I don't wear Pants. like a bra. Oh. I never wear pants. That's a given. <laughs> I wear, a, like, a bandeau. Okay, yeah. Because it doesn't, like, hold the sweat. Bless, because Gross. I can't wear one of those. Well, I can't wear it too often. Like, when I wear it, I'm like, I cannot move around. <laughs> okay. But I was at the grocery store bagging with... I get anxious. I feel like I'm taking too slow when uh-huh. I bag, so I'm going uh-huh. super fast. And my whole titty just popped out <laughs> underneath... <laughs> Like, not like out for everybody to see, but I felt it happen <laughs> underneath my dress. <laughs> it made me even more, <laughs> like, anxious to finish. Because I couldn't, there was like, Ooh, I can't, I, I literally can't. <laughs> but it was really busy, so it's not like I could reach into my shirt and, like, readjust. Wrangle it back in. <laughs> so I had, my bando was crooked, one boob covered, and I'm running out of Winco. <laughs> and then I get into my car and fix it. <laughs> but it was a lot. Oh, bless you. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Oh, and then is... the next day, I wore a bra. <laughs> <laughs> uh, perfect. Goddamn. What a good story. <laughs> Hello, everyone. <laughs> Hello. Welcome to our lives. <laughs> we got titties popping out of places. <laughs> titties coming out left and right. <laughs> Was it the left or the right? It was my right one. Oh, solid. Because I think I was, like, reaching or, like, <laughs> something. and then boop. So. <laughs> oh, man. Good Excuse you. stuff. My phone has gone off now two episodes in a row. In a row. Yeah. We might have to have a discussion later. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, this um, is that Broad Scout Moxie. It sure is. Hey, guys. This is Cassie. Hello. This is Kiana. And this is that broad scout moxie. We are here. Danny's Just here. Just to really reiterate. <laughs> yes. She's, she's uh, what's that wave called? She's doing the Miss America wave from the futon. Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. There Wipe you. a tear. Blow a kiss. <laughs> Touch your pearls. Acknowledge the audience. <laughs> You've never heard the full thing? I sure haven't. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for that, though. Yeah. Is that the whole thing? Yeah. Oh. Elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist, wrist. Wipe a tear, blow a kiss. Touch your pearls. Acknowledge the audience. Oh, that's cute. Did you learn that when you were a rose princess? No. Oh. <laughs> I just learned that. Oh. To, you know, acknowledge. Just so you have the that. The peasants around me. I <laughs> so Kiana greets everyone when she walks down the sidewalk. <laughs> People think she's... Had an issue, having having an issue. Yeah. Oh, whose turn is it? Okay, so it's twenty one. Is this episode twenty one? This episode can drink. Hallelujah, and neither of us are. 
You're drinking milk? No, it's chai tea. Okay. <laughs> that makes more sense. It's a, it's a latte. It's a pretty light latte, but okay. that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, so episode 21. Mm-hmm. So that means you're going first. Me? Yeah. Okay. Because you do odds and I do evens. Okay. It's still Pride Month, so go out there. Danny and I are going to Pride tomorrow in Portland. Mm-hmm. It's very exciting. Mm-hmm. Oh, can I have those? Oh, the Pride sunglasses? Yeah, I'm going to put a pair of Pride sunglasses on while you read. Okay. I'm prepared now. Okay. Okay, who are you talking about today? I'm not doing I'm not covering a queer woman today. Okay. But I am covering a woman named Marie Sukloff. Who is a Russian assassin. Ooh. 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 I love us an assassin. Okay. Perfect. So, do you know how... Let me just tell you. She's a, been a bitch to cover. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, the last few days you were like, oh, man, I have to read a book for one of the people who I'm covering. Mm-hmm. I... She, Marie Sucklove doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Oh, no. The thing... I had to read her own autobiography about her. When did you find the fucking time to do this? Because I read two-thirds of my book last night, and it took me, like, three hours. I won't lie. I skipped a few pages. (laughs) When I I found it to be a little boring. Or, like, something that I knew I couldn't cover. Not, like, boring. But, like, okay, now... Understood. Yeah. Like a, oh, she's in prison now. I can fast-forward through prison. Yes. Kind of. Um, We can read the spark notes on it. Right, exactly. Yeah. The book is called The Life Story of a Russian Exile, The Remarkable Experience of a Young Girl, Being an Account of Her Peasant Childhood, Her Girlhood in Prison, Her Exile to Siberia, and Escape from There. I'm sorry, that's the whole title? That's the the title. (laughs) Holy shit! (laughs) No, that was... I just read you the book. (laughs) It's a long-ass title. It is a very long title. I like Eh. it, though. Okay. It gives a lot of details, just... Just in the title yeah. of the book. <laughs> I don't need to say anything else about her. There you go. And then also there was an interview that she did after the book was released, and it's called The Making of a Russian Revolutionist. Mm. And it was held, it was conducted by a man named Winthrop. Winthrop. Yeah, Winthrop. Yep. Okay. So those are my only sources. Okay, perfect. So we're gonna just get on into it. We're gonna jump in. Oh, also, it all happens in Russia. But the city names and what we know now are actually more like Lithuania, Ukraine. Oh, okay. Russia, as we understand it now, is much smaller than Russia in this period. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, she was born in the small village of Borovi Milan in Russia in 1885, which is actually, I believe, more Lithuania. Mm. It was said that she had a big family, but the number of siblings she had was not anywhere that I could find. <laughs> not in her book. She, every once in a while, would mention, like, a sister or brother, uh-huh. but I never knew which. But she never said there were three sisters and one brother. It yeah. was just like, oh, well, this off chance I had. Uh. Yeah. Okay. She lived in a small rickety hut that had two broken windows, a thatch roof, 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 my, from Wisconsin, hello, <laughs> a thatch. your mouth, I say roof. <laughs> A thatch roof that leaked and a dirt floor that would often get muddy because the roof leaked. Understood. Her family had 14 acres of land, which sounds all right, but this land was almost unusable. At good times, they can get a few potatoes and some grain, but it was more common that her family starved. Girl was poor, and so was everyone she knew in the area. 
And they often experienced drought and famine. Mm-hmm. So it was just like a shitty place to be. Shitty place to be. Mm. At the age of six, her mother fell and fractured her skull, leaving her unable to perform any house duties or work. She was still alive. She was still alive. Oh. She just fractured her skull and doctors weren't like itching to come to the poor part of Russia. Good lord. So her and her 11-year-old sister took over these duties, the house duties. Mm -hmm. Uh, She says that the poverty she experienced at this time was indescribable. Because it was just so bad. Yeah. On a muddy floor. <laughs> she's six years old. She should be playing with a doll or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's cleaning and cooking and taking care of her her family. And, and oof. she would often talk about, like, and I took care of the baby and would say the age of the baby. But the age always changed and not up. So I believe that her mom just kept having kids. No! <laughs> and she was just like, okay, I'm taking care of this baby now. I'm nine. I just got, I just have a toddler and now I have a newborn again. Um, actually, <laughs> at nine, she was no longer taking care of the kids mm-hmm. because at the age of eight, she got a job as a tailor's apprentice. Oh, <laughs> thank goodness. I thought you were going to say she is having a baby. And I was like, I'm- oh, no, this- she actually okay. there's like no romance or anything in her story at all. Oh, OK. So there's no men in her life because she <laughs> she had bigger things to deal with. Clearly. Like, like famine. Her job at eight and- years old. That <laughs> that all of her earnings went to paying like her family oh debt and like mortgages and the mm-hmm. tax collector. Can you imagine her coming home at fucking eight and a half and being like, I need a beer. What a day at the office. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> oh, I mean, that was Russia. I know. Things. I think she actually talked about uh, people drinking vodka. Yeah. Because. Like water. Yeah. Because vodka doesn't freeze. That's right. But beer does. So they wouldn't be drinking beer. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Um, <laughs> at the age of 10, her life only got worse. Oh, Jesus. Her. Her aunt was beaten to death by a wealthy man's son, and the shithead went to prison for a whopping three months for murder before the magistrate was bribed by his wealthy family and he was released without any further jail time. Gosh. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Inequality. (laughs) One year later, so she lost her job at the tailor. Her aunt died. I think she was helping take care of her aunt because she, like, survived for, like, four days. Oh. But one year after her aunt's death, so she was 11, she took up a job at a grocery store in town. The grocery store was so small that only one person could shop at a time <laughs> because that's all who that could fit in the building. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it was here that she began to learn simple addition and subtraction. Although I haven't mentioned it, it's probably clear that so far in her life, she's never received any formal education. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Uh, you don't say? Yeah, <laughs> actually. I really thought she could squeeze it into her schedule. <laughs> no. <laughs> she was illiterate. <laughs> and didn't know how to do anything except for, like, sew mm-hmm. and, like, take care of the house. Which are admirable things to know how to do. That's <laughs> very true. <laughs> okay, so at this point, she's 11 and could only focus on the fact that she was super fucking hungry. So, like, couldn't read. Uh, the owners of the store that she worked at grew tired of her and were like, your math isn't great. So you're fired. (laughs) And then she became a tailor again. Okay. Tailor apprentice again. 
It was at this position that she was exposed to her first political resistance papers that people were reading around her because mm. she couldn't read. Mm-hmm. And in 19... Nope. In, 1890, <laughs> in 1898, uh, workmen in the area planned a strike demanding that their employers grant them a 10-hour workday. Oh, boy. <laughs> Workers, right? <laughs> and people, like, the employers were not down with this. Mm-mm. She heard them planning the strike and decided that she, too, would participate. Mm -hmm. The strike didn't go over well, and she and many others were just fired from their jobs. Oh, jeez. Because that's what people used to do. So she was fired, but at the age of 13, she impressed the workmen with her, like... Oh, with her skills? With her skills in striking. Mm -hmm. With her skills in not working, (laughs) in other words. Oh, okay. (laughs) But she impressed them for her, like, courage. Courage, Uh because she didn't go to work. And she was invited to attend their revolutionary meetings. So she began to sit in and hear them talk about, like... And then she's 13? Yes. Going to revolutionary meetings. Yep. And protesting. Yep. So 13, she's attending these meetings. She attended these meetings as just a listener for a long time, but then she was approached by the rabbi's daughter in town, Hannah, who invited her and other young ladies to to secret educational circles. Hmm. Uh, She listened to Hannah read illegal pamphlets, specifically one called Four Brothers, which promoted justice and equality. It was here that she began to learn of, like, the outside world and that her plight in town wasn't a, like, one-time thing. Yeah. It was widespread. Mm -hmm. And she, like, knew that it was wrong. Like, she she knew that people shouldn't be starving. She knew that people shouldn't be scared. And murderers should mm-hmm. stay in prison and stuff like that. And common sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Pretty common, common sense. decency. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She became close with Hannah and enamored with the idea of justice. At this time, she asked Hannah to, te- to teach her how to read. Mm-hmm. So she began to learn how to read. And she began to learn about history and geography as well. Oh, good. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah. This is an autobiography. Mm-hmm. So obviously she did pretty well <laughs> learning how to read and write. Clearly. Yeah. Because she was able to write her story. Mm-hmm. In just one year after meeting Hannah, uh-huh. <laughs> she began to organize strikes herself. Hot damn. So she left town for the first time and began planning a stocking weaver strike in a town called Okmeni. Oh, I was like, a stocking. What's a stocking weaver? <laughs> they weave stockings. <laughs> they do. <laughs> they do, in fact, do that. I keep forgetting it's the 1800s. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So she left town to do this, mm-hmm. but didn't tell her parents. And it was the first time she left ta- that small village oh, gosh. ever. So she came back and her mother was like, don't leave. And beat her up, obviously. Um, that's what yeah. discipline mm-hmm. parents did in the 1800s. And then, but she kept reading these pamphlets mm-hmm. at home. Uh, her political ideals didn't sit well with her parents. And it became a point of contention in the house, especially after a neighbor was arrested for attending secret revolutionary meetings. Oh, shit. Uh, she told her father, quote, I cannot bear to see our, par- our poverty any longer. I will go and learn how we might live better. And he was like, okay, that's pretty... This is a good. This is good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so he sent her to Odessa to live with her uncle, who was a quote learned man. A learned man. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Once in Odessa, which is Ukraine, I believe. Okay. But still Russia. Mm-hmm. Once there, I mean that historically, not now, because that's a lot obvious. Of <laughs> to this, say that now is this is not modern day Yugoslavia. <laughs> 
There's some stuff going on between Russia and the Ukraine. <laughs> uh, and I'm not going to comment on it. Because <laughs> I don't know enough. And I feel like, as a society, if we don't know enough, we shouldn't speak about it. Amen. What was I saying? Um, learned man. Okay. Learned man. So once Odessa. She, she once she was in Odessa, she joined another secret society mm-hmm. of revolutionists. But her uncle was like, oh, no, you will not do that here. <laughs> Because it was a big city, and so the police presence was greater. Yeah. And there was a high chance of imprisonment for yeah. reading these papers. He's like, look, I know you I know you want to learn and you want to do these things, but uh, you gotta fucking not get arrested. Yeah. If the pamphlets were found in the house mm-hmm. and they were hers, the entire house would be arrested. Oh, no. So it was the uncle, his wife, and... The- their kids would also go to prison. Oh, gosh. So it was very much a, like... You need to I'm not think going... about other people, not yeah. just yourself. You yeah. need to protect the family. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She was sympathetic to these anxieties and moved out of the house and moved in with five other revolutionaries named Zianna, David, Gregory, Nikolai, and Ivan. So, obviously, if there were to be a police mm-hmm. raid of their home, they were all down with the cause. Yeah. So they would... they would feel fulfilled going to prison mm-hmm. because they of it. Knew, they knew the risk they were taking. Yeah. Um, when she lived there, she briefly had a job as a candy wrapper and would work until her hands were literally bleeding. Ugh. Which is gross for a number of reasons. Number one being somebody's eating candy with blood on it. Yeah. Ugh. Yuck. <laughs> gross. All the people who lived in the house supported one another, uh, and they rarely all had jobs at the same time. Because they were constantly trying to organize workers' strikes uh-huh. on the place where they worked. And then when it was discovered, <laughs> <laughs> they were just fired. They got shit-canned. And they were like, well, gotta get a new job. Yeah. Gotta protest there. <laughs> they were just, they were like agitators. They uh-huh. were just constantly moving from workplace to workplace being like, yo, doesn't a 10-hour workday sound better than what we're currently doing? I'm very curious what they were currently doing. What, 18-hour workdays? It was probably like to meet quotas because there was there's oh, instances yeah, of being, people being locked in factories overnight to work. That's true. Yeah, Ugh. a lot of people died. A lot of people still dying because sweatshops still a thing. Their thing. Yeah. Oh, when they were unemployed, so not all of them were working at the same time, but whenever they were unemployed, they would spend time writing and distributing revolutionary materials. Uh, their circle grew to involve other people, and became known as the Southern Group. This group gained the attention of the Socialist Revolutionary Party and Marie herself, because at this point, the five other people were arrested, Mm. or, like, in some form of... Detention. Detention. Okay. So Marie was asked by the party to lead the printing of pamphlets, Mm -hmm. which was super illegal and, like, super risky. Yeah. In 1902, there was a police raid where she was living. Uh Uh-oh. Not great. (laughs) Um, Oh, really? (laughs) They found nothing suspicious through their, like, in their search. Mm -hmm. However, they, like, last resort looked through a jacket that was hanging on, like, a rack or something. Oh, my gosh. And in it, they found typewriter keys. So nothing. They found typewriter keys of the typewriter that she had been using. Wow. They didn't find anything. Like, she was like, don't worry, I got this shit taken care of okay but, but they, then had typewriter keys in her pocket she had typewriter keys in her pocket and this was enough to arrest everybody in the house oh my gosh as said by the russian government at the time 
Because Oof, it was like a uh, sign that she was typing something. Yeah. She's, she's getting into something no good. Yeah. And so at the age of 17, she went to jail. It was a real shit time. <laughs> this part's real sad. Mm-hmm. When in prison, an order was given in the town around, mm-hmm. like, where she was being held captive to gather and, like, kill uh, all the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Because this is when Jewish people were being heavily persecuted in yeah. Russia. And for two days straight, she could hear the screams from people outside. Ugh. And, like, people were begging to be let into the prison because that was a safe place. Uh-huh. But they had turned people away at the prison doors. Oh, God, that breaks my heart. Yeah. Uh, so this was... So she'd always been a revolutionist. Mm-hmm. But, like, a, like, doe-eyed, like, we can do it. We mm-hmm. can just educate each other. We yeah. can just strike and we'll get what we want. Yep. But after, I mean, just hearing the torture for two days, she completely described this as, like, she was no longer green. No. she Shit got real. She yeah. was like, oh... There's some really fucking terrible things happening. Mm. This is this is more than just a this is more than just a strike because of something we want. We have there's a yeah. bigger there's a bigger mission here. Yeah. And so she was like, "Okay, now I know extreme action needs to be taken. Mm-hmm. Like distributing pamphlets isn't going to be enough." Yeah. But she was in prison. Um <laughs> so <laughs> so she was just like stewing over this mm-hmm. in prison. Oof. And after several years, she finally got a court date. I'm sorry. She was in prison <laughs> she was in prison for several years. Yeah. Before she even was put in front of a judge to to decide whether to, or not she should be in prison. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because that's how it worked back then. <laughs> <sighs> Fucking Russia. <laughs> <laughs> that happens in the US currently. Yeah. People, yeah. Yeah, it does. A lot of people don't know. They aren't being communicated to that they can have been posted for bail or whatever. Uh-huh. A lot of people spend time in prison when they shouldn't be. That had been said, she had her court date. <laughs> and she was charged because after doing more searches of her materials and everything, they kind of, they found some letters between her and Nikolai, who mm-hmm. was another... Revolutionary. Who was um, already found guilty oh, several times uh-huh. of being a revolutionary. So, they charged her with probably treason or something. Mm-hmm. She just said they charged her. And she was exiled <laughs> to Siberia. Holy shit. Which was a common... The coldest goddamn desert in the world. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it was common, like, a, a punishment to mm-hmm. just be like, you did some shit, go over there. You're in timeout. Fucking fend for yourself. Uh, she found the purposelessness of living in the remote village in Siberia worse than prison. Because at least in prison she could talk to other revolutionaries. Yeah. All she did while there was dictate letters for the illiterate people in town and read the news to everybody. At one of these readings, she learned about an incident now referred to as Red Sunday or Bloody Sunday, mm-hmm. where unarmed demonstrators were fired upon by the Imperial Guard under direction of the from the Tsar. And St. Petersburg. Mm -hmm. Don't know if you've heard. Yep. It's a pretty famous day. Yeah. This reinvigorated her, and so she just left town (laughs) because being exiled, I don't think they just keep an eye on you. (laughs) No, they're like, you can't be here anymore. You have to go there. And she's like, fuck that. I'll go wherever I want. (laughs) Right. So she just, like, left Siberia. (laughs) She's like, this exile is stupid. And then went (laughs) went back to her hometown, where she was briefly reunited with her parents. However, being back home was extremely dangerous because at this point she had the reputation. And so her parents gave her money and then she fled to Minsk. Oh, uh uh-huh. And then 
from there, she went to a small town in Austria and then to Geneva, where she reconnected with Nikolai. Oh, okay. And other revolutionaries there. At this point, she was even more agitated with the Russian government than she had been before when she was in prison because of Red Sunday. Mm -hmm. So after consulting with Nikolai, she decided to join an extremist group and cut off connections with her family. As each generation of protesters and reformers were repressed, dissent turned more and more radical out of desperation, and this group was the most radical of all. This extremist group's goal was to assassinate the leaders and oppressors of Russia. So, now we get... And take care of business. Yes. <laughs> she is an assassin. Um, her and Nikolai were assigned to kill two people, but those plans were foiled. The first guy found out about their plan and just didn't leave his house. Okay. Just for them to, like, catch him slipping. Uh-huh. And then the second guy... <laughs> <laughs> you know, real casually, like, catch him slipping. <laughs> and then the second guy found out and then did travel with his wife and daughter everywhere he went. And... Um, um. He's like, I'm safe as long as they're with me. Yeah. Because Marie and Nikolai were like, we're not going to kill two innocent people. Yeah. Well, good for them. At least they're just, you know, assassins with some standards. Yeah, right? They could have been yeah. worse. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally, they were assigned a Russian governor general named Foyder Dubasov. Dubasov. That's a name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he was notorious at the time for carrying out pogroms a.k.a. massacres, oh. on mm. local Jewish families. What a dick. Yeah. Gosh. And <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this. I didn't mention this. I think Marie is Jewish. Who? So, Marie. Oh. The, the person <laughs> I'm talking about. <laughs> because she talked about, she never says, I am Jewish. Yeah. But she... It can kind of be inferred. She wrote in, like, Yiddish. Uh-huh. She was um, friends with the rabbi's daughter. Mm-hmm. I think she talked about speaking Hebrew. And her uncle taught Russian at a Hebrew school. Okay. So I think her family was Jewish, but it okay. was never, like, nailed on the head. Yeah. That it was... She never told me. Gotcha. <laughs> but <laughs> that made the, like... That made it... That makes it that much worse. Not yeah. that it's not already the worst fucking thing. Mm-hmm. But, but it's then personal. to be, like... It's personal. These are my people. Yeah. Ugh. Um, and now I'm just going to read the excerpt from her book. Oh, okay. Of her describing the assassination. Okay. <clears throat> the day was bright and cold. The sky cloudless. The street was almost deserted with only now and then an occasional passerby hurrying to church. Four blocks from my house was a bridge on which a guard stood on a fixed post. Holding the bag in my hand, I passed him, and he bowed low, wished me a happy new year. Soon, however, I came back and began walk began to walk up and down not far from my house. A few minutes later, I saw from afar Comrade Nikolai, walking with slow and measured steps toward me. In his hand, he held a box tied with a red ribbon. That was a bomb. He crossed the bridge and stopped about 70 or 80 feet from me. I knew then that he would throw the bomb from there. I continued to walk back and forth in the direction of the governor's house. Comrade Nikolai overtook me and whispered while passing. I saw him. Remember, keep farther away from me, lest an accident should happen to your bomb when mine explodes. And he quickly went to his former place. I followed him with my eyes, hardly moving. The street still remained deserted. Suddenly, a mounted Cossack appeared, and behind him a carriage. Comrade Nikolai immediately stepped down from the curb. 
At, the, at that moment, the carriage approached him. He raised his hand and threw the bomb under the carriage. The bomb fell softly on the snow and did not explode. A police officer who was riding behind the governor sprang at, at Nikolai, and I heard the report of a pistol. The carriage stopped for an instant, but evidently taking in the situation, the coachman began to whip the horses and drove at full gallop straight in my direction. I stepped into the middle of the road and with all my might hurled the bomb against the carriage window. A terrific force instantly stunned me. I felt that I was lifted into the air. When I regained con consciousness and opened my eyes, there was nobody around. I lay on the road amid a heap of debris. Blood was streaming down my face and hands. I tried to lift my head and lost con consciousness. So in her bag was the bomb. Holy shit. <laughs> Can I just say real quick, did not think they were assassinating anybody with bombs. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, oh, we sniped him from across across the way or something like I was not expecting anybody <laughs> to get blown up. I think it's because they didn't have money, and mm -hmm. I think bombs are a cheaper and perhaps oh, more surefire way mm -hmm. than shooting. Also, then they would have to teach people how to shoot. That's, yeah, that's true. It's a lot easier to be like, throw this at this thing. Yeah. And <laughs> and it'll cause a lot of damage. <laughs> as opposed to secret sniping people, but. Yes. Damn. Yes. So, this attack, everybody in the carriage died. Although, there are other reports that say that he survived this one and then was killed in another one. Okay. But then. He being the governor? Yes. Okay. But, she is credited with killing him. Gotcha. After this, she... So she was... Okay, I'll just read my notes. Okay. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. So, she just killed this guy. Yeah. And she was badly hurt because, you know, the blood in her face. And yep. Bombs don't, like, just stop no. where they want to. They, they go they all over going. the place. Mm -hmm. And once she came to, she realized that she had to run. So she wasn't unconscious for a long time. Okay. Uh, she got pretty far for how messed up she was mm -hmm. and had people assisting her along the way. So, like, people heard she killed this man uh -huh. and wanted to help her. Yeah. Um, however, all the police end up having, having to do was follow the blood trail that she was leaving. Oh, no. And then they caught her. Uh, staunch that blood flow. Yeah, I know. And it's kind of... I didn't put this in, but now I'm going to talk about it anyways. Okay. I thought it was going a little long and I'm probably... In, but whatever. Um, <laughs> a, a, like, she describes him as a youth. So, mm -hmm. I imagine, like, a 10-year-old or whatever. Uh-huh found her and ha brought her to his parents' house and then his parents in support like supported mm -hmm. all of it told the boy to bring her to another town so he literally like put her on a sled and then was just dragging her to the next city oh gosh but then she was caught with him uh -huh. and so he went to prison as well oh yeah oh, poor baby um she was caught and interrogated but she proved to be difficult to crack mostly because <laughs> She was heavily concussed and, like, couldn't really speak. <laughs> so she, like, didn't deny that she did it. Yeah. Like, they were like, did you kill the governor? And she would, like, nod. Uh-huh. But anything else, it was like, I can't speak. I can't. She's like, I literally, my you, brain got shaken up like a bowl of jello. You followed, you caught me because I left a blood trail. I'm not chill right now. <laughs> they couldn't even get her name. Uh-huh. And so on all the court documents, she's listed as unknown. Oh. Yeah. 
at court, her and Nikolai were sentenced to death, and the little boy was just sentenced to, like, 10 years of hard labor. Just, just 10 years. Just 10 years. <laughs> just the same amount of you, the time that you've been alive. Yeah. You will now break rocks and uh, do other fucking miserable, terrible things. Yeah. But they thought... they Nikolai and Marie heard that they were sentenced to death. Uh-huh. And there was a large chance that the boy would have been sentenced to death. Uh-huh. But then when they heard he just went to prison... They celebrated. Oh, good. And everybody was like, girl, you're dying. Why are you happy? Yeah. But they were willing to die yeah. for their cause. Yeah, ex- exactly. Um, so in a few days, she was going to be killed, but then she was granted clemency for some unknown reason. Okay. I think Nikolai was killed, though. Uh-huh. She was granted clemency and then... Clem- I'm saying Yeah, right. yeah. Uh, and then she was just put back into a shitty prison. Oh, boy. She didn't like prison. <laughs> Really? Weird. Yeah. And she had some notoriety. 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 <laughs> notoriety. Notoriety. Thank you. You, <laughs> you sound like an old car trying to start up. Notoriety. <laughs> that was me trying. We got her artist. kicked into gear now, guys. <laughs> she had attained notoriety. Notoriety. <laughs> Have you had any coffee this morning? I feel like that would have fixed this situation. So she was, uh, she was popular at this point. And so. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Nice. And so she had people helping her to break out. Yeah. And she successfully did. She broke out of prison? She broke out of prison. Okay. And was on the lam again. Uh, This time she ended up on a train to China. Okay. Be to run away. And sure. fun fact, on her way there, she delivered a baby on the train. Like somebody else's baby. Oh, <laughs> it was like, how did, when did this happen? <laughs> okay. No, she she was there to catch it when it came out. Yeah. Gotcha. Which I just thought, like, was a weird little, like. Yeah. Okay. I'm just saying, if I ever delivered a baby, I'd be like, guys, you'll never believe what I did. That's That's true. I delivered a baby. But she couldn't quite be like. Hey guys, I delivered a baby on my way to China because she was supposed to be in prison. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so she got to China, absolutely hated it. She thought it was worse than Russia, and then decided to make her way back to Europe. Oh, okay. I was like, she she got to China, she was like, fuck this, and went back to Russia. (laughs) No. Uh, She went back to Europe and then back to Russia. Oh my gosh! Because she wanted to keep helping the revolutionists. That's that's like her whole life is dedicated to helping change Russia. Gosh, she's she can't get enough. (laughs) She's like, bring on that pain. (laughs) Okay, and that's where the book ends. Okay, she says, "I'm now back in Russia," and then the interview by Winthrop. Okay, was after she wrote the book, Mm -hmm. and. The information is, like, I could not find anything about her after this point, after I read her book. And I think it might be because everything's in Russian that I could Okay, I was going to say, is it it because everything maybe is in Russian, so you just can't find any English stories about her? Or is it because Russia was like, we're going to keep this shit on the DL as much as possible? I chalked it up to, I don't know, Russian. Okay. And also, the political unrest yeah. in Russia probably made pamphlets and, like, uh, things. And uh-huh. Things weren't well documented. Yeah. Or they were well documented and then lost. Uh, okay. Okay. 
but she probably had a hand in forming the Peasants' Party in Russia. Okay. That's something that I found. She definitely published this book. <laughs> so clearly, else she yes. did with her life. And then World War II, World War II, World War I started. Okay. Because the yeah. book was published January of 1914. Okay. The war started in July or June. Okay. And then there's absolutely nothing else about her. We wow, don't know how she died. Faded into history. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Which I was pissed about. Yeah. I. Had, I <laughs> that is not a satisfactory ending to this story. I found a list of like assassins because I was like, oh, I'm going to do an assassin. Yeah. And I thought her story was interesting. And we hadn't covered a Russian person in a while. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'll do her. There was. Nothing about her to find. Gosh dang. And so I just, I just felt like maybe I should have done another assassin. But she's really cool. She's really cool. And clearly had, she was, in fact, she went back. <laughs> yeah. After. Kept going back. She kept going back. And she was clear, you know, had a good reason to go back and, and fight and mm-hmm. for her people. But damn. Yeah. That's a really good story. I really wish I knew the ending to that, though. Yeah, I'm really sorry. That's okay. I wish I did, too. (laughs) You're like, yeah, I know. I read a whole goddamn book about her, and now I don't know what happened. Yeah. And maybe she's still alive. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just to be also clear. Yeah. Her life sounded shitty with me telling it. (laughs) If you you read her book Mm -hmm. and the details, and, like, I left out a few other points in her life when she was in Mm -hmm. prison, her life was worse. (laughs) Don't worry, it gets worse. <laughs> oh man, like, there was a strong buildup before she decided I must kill. Yeah, <laughs> she didn't just stumble upon it. And be like, you know what? I'm gonna try this. Yeah, and like, just to challenge our age-old phrase that that Broad Scott Moxie murder uh-huh. bad. I don't know if her murder was all that bad. I don't know. I don't know. Especially if you like. If somebody had murdered Hitler, mm-hmm. would it have been that bad? Probably not. No. I don't know. But if you watch 112263, which is a very... it's First of all, it's a very good book. So the notion of if we could go back in time and change this, mm-hmm. and this person died or this person stayed alive, mm-hmm. the future is very scary. <laughs> <laughs> the future is very scary now. I mean, yeah, obviously. Yeah. No, and the, the I'm just going to tag on to that. You talking about Don't Worry It Gets Worse, like the book mm-hmm. <laughs> has so, so much more information yeah. in it. Like, we're trying to condense this down to roughly before it's edited. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two hours of us talking. So, yeah, the person that I'm going to talk about, I, like I said, I read, the, I read her book, mm-hmm. which I'm going to tell you what it is in a second. But, like, I'm trying to condense it down and highlight mm-hmm. the main points or the things that stuck out to me. So. Yeah. And it's hard because they... We literally could talk about these people for hours. Yeah. And th- especially when it's, like, an autobiography or... It mm-hmm. was important enough to be in the book, then we have to then decide... Was it that important? <laughs> exactly. So basically all we can do is give you a condensed version and then say, go read the book because it's fucking worth it. Exactly. And they tell the story better than we ever could. I'm not going to say the title of her book again because it's five hours long. <laughs> That's fine. Okay. Who who are you doing? Okay. This week 
I am talking about Beth Ditto. Who is that? Who is that, you may ask. (laughs) (laughs) She is a... I did ask. (laughs) You did. (laughs) She's a singer-songwriter. It was a lead in the band Gossip. Um, Oh. Yes. Okay. Very queer, like, indie rock Mm -hmm. slash punk band. Anyway, this all came about because on Instagram, I had a lovely little comment exchange Mm -hmm. with her talking about her being in Portland and I suggested she go get Stella Tacos because they have great queso. Mm -hmm. And it was just really lovely. And I was like, she's, first of all, so talented. Mm -hmm. She's a plus-size lesbian who very much follows her own rules, who has been in the music scene for 20 years, basically. And she lives in Portland, which I did not know. Which she told me on Instagram. And basically, <laughs> I was just like, I'm a fan, but I know nothing about her. Yeah. Other than what I've, you know, read in magazines or just coming and going, listening to her music. So, this this kind of sparked my interest. And so, I read her book, hmm. which is called Coal to Diamonds, a memoir Okay. that, that she wrote in 2012. And so, I wanted to start this with... Just a little quote that I found that I thought was funny. And I was like, oh, Kiana will appreciate the shit out of this. So, quote, with a stretch belt, anything can be a dress. A dinner napkin, a tablecloth, even a towel. Just wrap and snap and away you go in an incredible outfit. (laughs) And I was like, perfect. This is is exactly how I want to kick this off. Hell yeah. Okay. So, Mary Beth Ditto. Uh, was born February 19th, 1981, in a small, poor Bible Belt town called Judsonia, Arkansas. Ooh. So, her name's Mary Beth, but she goes by death. Beth. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Name is Mary Beth. She goes by death. (laughs) Because she's that fucking punk rock. (laughs) No, and for a long time, people were like, Beth Ditto is not your real name. And she's like, no, really, it is. It's not (laughs) just, like, a stage name that I picked up. Yeah. Uh, she grew up in a large Baptist family that included her mother, Velmyra, her father, Homer, five siblings, her aunt, Janie, various cousins, and a few stepfathers. Uh, oh. Growing up in rural Arkansas, Beth dealt with a lot of bullshit. She suffered sexual abuse by an uncle from a young age, hmm. had a very complicated relationship with her mother, uh, who was kind of young. She was a young mother and real yeah. wild. People loved her, but also she wasn't, um, she wasn't the most responsible. Yeah. And that caused a lot of tensions, obviously. She lived in near poverty and bounced between her mother's and her aunt's house and really never felt like she belonged anywhere, mm-hmm. you know. Beth was forced at a young age to care for her younger siblings and cook and clean and sew her own clothes, which became a part of her life later on because she made a lot of her own costumes and then eventually delved into fashion. Okay. So Beth had always loved music. By the way, can I just mention real quick? I'm, because I've like, I, she has no idea who I am. Yeah. Right. (laughs) She's a celebrity, but I'm like, I'm kind of nervous because I'm like, I just really want to do this well. Yeah. (laughs) Because I am a fan. Okay. Anyway. 
Beth had always loved music. She grew up listening to country music, as well as, like, jazz and soul, like Ma Rainey and Ella Fitzgerald. But also because she was, you know, growing up in the 80s and, you know, early 90s, she also loved Madonna Mm -hmm. and Boy George and all of that came with 80s, like, dance pop. After her Christian community decided MTV was too risque, so the cable company did not carry it anymore. <laughs> oh my god. I, it was, like, the city that she, that she grew up in, the county that she grew up in was a dry county. Oh god. So you couldn't buy booze anywhere. But also, you could, like, dancing was outlawed. Like, it was <laughs> like... Footloose in Footloose Yeah, it was like in Footloose. So people would, like, dance in their homes... And, the cover of night. <laughs> yeah, and the cover of, like, they would go to this clearing, this old barn where there was, like, a jukebox that was hidden away, and they would it dance out there. It literally was Footloose. It literally was Footloose. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. It, I, was I, when I was reading this book, I was like, nuh-uh. <laughs> no, really? That's crazy. So, because she didn't have MTV, she, and, you know, into, like, her adolescence and high school, she got her musical education through her group of, like, quote, weirdo friends. They listened to Nirvana and Hole and Alanis Morissette and Susie and the Banshees and also indie bands like Bikini Kill and Sleater Kinney. Then Beth discovered Riot Girl. The mm. women leading this movement were smart, tough, rebellious, and unabashedly female. They made punk music that called out misogyny, homophobia, and the unrealistic standards put on girls by society. It was empowering. And Beth knew a little bit about empowering women. So even though she grew up in Arkansas, in Mm -hmm. the middle of the Bible Belt, Mm -hmm. in what we would be like, oh, it's just a bunch of conservative Republican rednecks. Yeah. Her family is not like that at all. In fact, she was like, I never saw that side of... Of what other people see. Yeah. So Beth's mother and her Aunt Janie held feminist ideals. Also, real quick, side note. There's a really funny story that she tells about her Aunt Janie. And she's getting something out of a cupboard. Mm-hmm. And she finds this rock. And she's like, Aunt Janie, what is this? And her aunt goes, oh, you don't know what that is? She goes, no, what is it? She goes, it's a titty rock. Excuse me? <laughs> and Beth is like, what is a titty rock? And her Aunt Janie goes, well, let me show you. And she holds it, and she's got, like, it's got, like, grooves, kind of, uh-huh. you know? And she goes, you hold this, so when you punch bitches in the titty, it hurts worse. <laughs> and I was like, excuse me? <laughs> what? <laughs> so, titty rock. I thought maybe it was a rock you just kept in your titties. Yeah. I mean, and maybe she did, but it was specifically for punching other people, people when you needed to. Yeah. She must have done it a lot. <laughs> a lot to have to have given this rock a name. To have a designated rock. <laughs> Specific. <laughs> if anybody else has a titty rock or knows somebody who has <laughs> something akin to a titty rock, I would love to see it. Because <laughs> it really made my day. Where was I? Okay. Feminist ideals. So, her mother 
would help girls in town. Like, everybody knew her mom thought she was nice, but for the most part just kind of ignored her. She was a nurse, except for when their daughters were in trouble. Mm -hmm. And in that case, Beth's mother uh, would help girls in town get to a clinic for birth control or abortions. And violence and racism was absolutely not allowed in her home. Okay. She was like, we do not, we don't say the N-word. I don't care mm-hmm. if you hear it all around town and in your home, you don't say it in my house. Okay. Fighting was not allowed, etc. You gotta um, go to her aunt's to fight with that <laughs> titty rock. That's true. <laughs> uh, and she, in the book, she I didn't talk a lot about it, but in the book, she talks a lot about her relationship with her mom mm-hmm. and her mom's past and her aunt and the type of woman she was. It's just really, it's really well written. These were like some strong ass, hardworking women mm-hmm. who are in this vicious cycle of abuse and being young mothers and poverty. Mm-hmm. It's just this whole thing. Let's see, where was I? Okay, so Beth was always raised to put herself in other people's shoes and basically to make an effort to understand what they might be going through. Mm-hmm. And then she discovered she was a lesbian in high school when she fell in love with a close friend who then ended up dating her older brother. Oh, rough. Rough. It's <laughs> a, it's a very hard way to be like, oh, we're friends, but... I don't necessarily feel like just friends. Yeah. So she found herself in a group of these misfits that were all punks. They all dressed a little different. They all had loud hair and listened to not country music. Mm -hmm. So this, this small group of friends that she accumulated... And then they started the, quote, world's shittiest band (laughs) called Little Miss Muffet with Beth on vocals. And it all kind of started, they were just playing around. Somebody was like, tink, tink, playing around on a drum kit Mm -hmm. while someone else was playing a guitar. And then they were like, here, Beth, why don't you sing something? Mm -hmm. So, but her whole life, like growing up, she was a huge choir nerd and she loved to sing she was, she tells a story about how her mom would, like, hear her singing mm-hmm. from the other room and would come inside and, like, plug her nose <laughs> and be like, that's not where your voice comes from. Sing from your guts. Oh. So, and if you, if you know the gossip, if you've ever listened to them, or if you've ever listened to her, like, her solo stuff, mm-hmm. she has such an incredibly powerful voice. Mm-hmm. And I just think it's... It, I, I can relate... First of all, I can relate to Beth Ditto on so many levels in my own life. Mm-hmm. And I can't sing. <laughs> <laughs> really at all. Okay. My sister can sing very, very well. And so I can just imagine... Her mom coming in and plugging her nose and saying, no, no, that's not where your voice comes from. Sing from here. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes me think of my sister. And oh. Yeah. Oh, how nice. Yeah. So in 1999, Beth was a senior in high school. So over the course of that year, kind of one at a time, her bandmates slash best friends all moved to Olympia, Washington. It started with one. Her name was Kathy. Mm-hmm. And who was the drummer in the Mm -hmm. gossip. And so she moved to Olympia to go to Evergreen College. 
and then their friend Jerry moved, Mm -hmm. and then their friend Nathan moved. So eventually, she's the last one left in Arkansas, and she was like, this is the fucking worst. Uh, So she was very scared to leave. In fact, she tried to get her boyfriend at the time to knock her up. So then, basically, she was like, I can't make this decision. I need someone to make it for me. So if Mm -hmm. I get pregnant, then I can't leave. Like, I I have to stay here and I have to stay on this path. And maybe if I pop out enough babies, it'll just, the gay will just come out of me. Aw, that's really too bad. It it was. It was very sad. But he was like, no fucking way. (laughs) And so he was like, nope, sorry. No semen, no babies. (laughs) Um, So, right. So he refused. And she was also, so she was scared to leave, like I said, but she was also scared to stay. She had seen the vicious cycle of abuse, young motherhood, and poverty, and thought that just maybe, Mm -hmm. like, if she left, even for a little while, she might find another path to go down. Yeah. One month after she graduated high school, which she said the book that she just barely did. (laughs) (laughs) But she did. So, a month after she graduated, she packed everything that she owned and put it on a plane. When she arrived in Olympia, the four friends, so Beth, Jerry, Kathy, and Nathan, mm-hmm. <laughs> moved into a, quote, disgusting, carny punk house. <laughs> Yuck. And let me tell you, it wasn't a carny, per se, house, but yeah. I have seen some disgusting, like, Savini punk houses when i went i don't know what that means okay so the 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 makeup program that i went to mm-hmm. is called the the tom savini special makeup effects program mm-hmm. right and so some of the housing that that the school provided mm-hmm. were just big old big old houses that they could fit six or seven people into mm-hmm. and there there was a house I'm gonna. I'm just gonna shade the shit out of them. I'm not gonna say names. Mm-hmm. But it was this big, gross pink house, and it was seven girls who lived there. And I was like, "This is the grossest fucking place I've ever seen." <laughs> just like uninhibited, they were like feral children. Yuck. Yeah, I did not spend any time over there, <laughs> but calling them out on their bullshit. Okay, so they lived in this terrible carny punk house, and they survived on the food that Beth and Kathy brought home from their job at A&W. Hmm. So, soggy corn dogs and just... Burgers. And fries. burgers. Yeah. Gross. That made... I read that, and I was like, ugh, I don't like A&W at its best. <laughs> I've never had A&W. I've I mean, only had root beer. Yeah. I think I've maybe had a chili dog. And I can mm. get down on a chili dog. Hot dogs? In Don't ruin them. Well, no. Like, oh. the idea of a hot dog is kind of gross in itself, but I can get past it. Yeah. But then a fast food hot dog <laughs> is just sort of like... Uh, <laughs> understandable. Because hot dogs are cheap, and I feel like at fast food, they somehow get them cheaper. Oh, yeah. So it's like, what are you? Yeah. <laughs> You're not. You're not a food <laughs> thing. Okay. So, like I said, moving to Olympia was, it was a huge step. And it was also a huge culture shock mm-hmm. because she came from Judsonia that was so, so small and mm-hmm. rural. And it was a dry, it was a dry county. Mm-hmm. So she's like, there's 
bagels. <laughs> and you can just get booze at the grocery store. Yeah. And she was like, so for the first time in my life, there are these teenagers and not old enough, you know, under 21 folks walking around with just, you know, water bottles full of booze. <laughs> and I was like, oh, girl, been there, done that. <laughs> That's the only time I've ever been to Jack in the Box to get one of those real big sodas. Jack in the Box. Oh, I thought you were going to say a taco. Oh. Jack in the Box tacos. They're not real. I have had one of those after (laughs) half a bottle of Jack Daniels. Because I was 19. (sighs) I learned so much. (laughs) Okay. So, being in Olympia, finally the band was back together. And they did shows in random living rooms and laundromats. Hmm. Also, from their house to get to these places where they often had shows, they had to go down this big hill. So they would get wine drunk and put on roller skates and roller skate down the hill. And then die. (laughs) Right? I was like, that sounds like the worst idea ever. Yeah. Rough. Rough. I imagine there was a lot of grass stains and a lot of scraped knees. (sighs) Boy. Okay. So anyway, band's back together. This is where... They officially became Gossip. Okay. So they recorded their first EP with K Records. And shortly after that, the band Sleater Kitty, Kin- Sleater Kinney, mm-hmm. who are Notoriety. from Seattle. Notoriety. Exactly. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> um, asked them to tag along on their tour. So this was the first time that they had ever gone anywhere to play their music. Yeah. And they would, like, crash on Carrie Brownstein's floor oh. of, like, her hotel room because they were in a minivan yeah. and didn't have anything <laughs> except for a cooler beer and, you know, their shitty amps and stuff. So, Gossip was successful on tour. They kind of started to gain, like, a following. And then when they got back to Olympia, they released several albums but then they'd get... So, basically, they'd go on tour. Mm-hmm. They'd come home, work on their music, get shitty jobs to pay the bills, quit those jobs to go back out on tour, and then just rinse and repeat. Yeah. They're like, we've worked at every fast food place, every coffee place, like, everywhere. That would take them. Yeah. And then three months later, they'd be like, bye. <laughs> so, in 2003, I'm just gonna... I skipped... Like, a chunk of time. Okay. They're touring, they're releasing albums, etc. So, in 2003, Beth moved to Portland. Um, so did Holler. the rest of the band. Holla! So, at the time, she was in a relationship with uh, a trans man named Freddie. And he had wooed her, and they were super in love, and he was her biggest support. Mm. They were very, very happy together. But moving to Portland left them both to deal with, like, their own challenges. When Beth, when they got here, Beth was the thinnest she'd ever been. Mm-hmm. And, in fact, in the book she talks about Freddie finding a picture mm-hmm. and being like, I better not show this picture to Beth because there's this cute skinny girl sitting on my lap. Mm-hmm. And he, like, he didn't even recognize her. Yeah. Like, and it was, it was Yeah. It's wild. That's too bad. So she was super thin and losing a lot of weight. And then she started having problems with her vision. She'd get whiteouts mm-hmm. and then would just drop like a sack of potatoes. 
So as that kind of continued, then her throat would basically just stop working. Like she was talking about, she was like, I tried to eat a donut one day and it came out my nose when she tried to swallow. Oh my God. Because everything, you know, is coming. Yeah. And then like one side of her face would go slack and she would lose muscle control. So all of these things are happening. And she went to her eye doctor and was telling Mm -hmm. him these things. And he was like, if you tell me you can't go to see a specialist right now, Mm -hmm. I'm calling an ambulance and we're taking you. Yeah. So after a whole lot of tests, she she was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease called sarcoidosis. Mm -hmm. So basically... She kind of explained it, but I I wasn't gonna go into it. Yeah, you're not a basically. Doctor. We're not doctors, at the, <laughs> and we're not. <laughs> at the end of the day, her brain was. <laughs> I wrote slowly. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, her brain was slowly telling each of her senses to just quit. Yeah, and this is actually what Bernie Mac. Oh yeah, that's what he he had the same autoimmune disease, and what happened is he got pneumonia mm-hmm. and it kicked in his autoimmune disease and basically his lungs started stopped working. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Scary. Yeah. It's also the like the rarest of the rare autoimmune diseases. Mm-hmm. So with medication and a shitload of steroids, it can go into remission and she can just live your know normal normal life. Mm-hmm. But then it can just pop back in when you least expect it. Yeah. So, she's dealing with this, going through all this, but, and this is, I guess I shouldn't, I'm going to give a little, like, trigger warning. Mm-hmm. Uh, self-harm, you okay. know. Yeah. All the things that come with that, so you can, if, if it's a problem, go ahead and skip, you know, 10 or 15 seconds. Okay. So, Beth had also been prone to depression, um, and she was feeling very suicidal. Mm-hmm. She was like, well... My bar, my body's already quitting. Mm-hmm. It's halfway there. Um, and then she began cutting. Yeah. After one particularly bad breakdown, she spent four days in a mental health ward. And it was fucking scary and terrible. And she was like, I cannot end up here. Mm-hmm. And basically, she said while she was there, she just, she cried all the tears that she had held on to for years. Yeah. She's she's a Pisces mm-hmm. and she said she's a very emotional person. Mm-hmm. But growing up, she just kind of kept everything bottled up and kept all yeah. of this pain. So anyway, so after this terrible fucking experience, uh she knew that she could be get better and you know, her sister gave her a talk and was like, "Look, you got to do this." day by day. And if you can't do that, you do it hour by hour and minute by minute. You just have to make it through. Yeah. And so with that really powerful, you know, support from her sister and from Freddie, um, she was like, all right, I can do this. And with that, she kind of threw herself completely into her music. So Gossip continued to release albums. Each new album afforded a larger budget and more time to write songs and record. They did particularly well in Europe and the UK. In fact, she lived in London, kind of on and off for a little while. And they earned several triple gold and platinum uh, records. Oh. 
So the gossip was together from 1999 until 2006. Okay. So one of the one of the main guys left to go home to Arkansas because he was a born again Christian, wanted to go back to that and, life and be born again. And be born again. So that happened in 2004, and then officially in 2016, they're like, we're we're done. 16 or six. 2016. Okay. So, almost seven, like, 17 yeah. years the band was together. Okay. So, that's that's the whole gossip era. era of her life. So, these are the things that I wanted to also, like, highlight. Beth Dido is an out, fat feminist with a killer voice. She has been compared to Etta James. Oh, wow. Janis Joplin. And Tina Turner. Okay. Yeah. She's a fucking powerhouse. Uh, Beth, who is openly lesbian, was married for four years to her now ex-wife, Kristen. Mm-hmm. But is now very happily in love with her boyfriend, Teddy Quo, who is a trans man and plays the bass in her band. Okay. And they live in Portland together. And they're so cute. And she's... What's her new band called? It's she she's just like a solo. Oh, writer, it's, so it's just, just Beth Ditto and, and then her band. And okay. then her band, yeah. I'm gonna kinda jump around with dates a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, just tack that on there. So shortly after her divorce in two thousand seventeen, she released a solo album called Fake Sugar. Did you understand? I felt like I'd fake okay. sugar. Fake sugar. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a fucking beautiful album. Mm-hmm. It's very much a lot of it's not like the gossip. Mm-hmm. She's pouring out her heartbreak and her emotions about having this relationship come to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, it also has a lot of her, like, natural Arkansas, like, country twang in it. Mm. It's It's got a lot of soul. It's got some real solid, like, driving beats. It's really, really good. Yeah. So everybody should go listen to it. My favorite is Fire. It's okay. really good. I'm going to look it up. Yeah, you should. Um, So Beth is a body positive advocate and has appeared naked on two magazine covers. Oh. Which, as a fat woman, she is fucking saying, fuck you. Yeah. This is my body. I love it. I've lived in it my whole life. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me what to do. Um, And that she, so the two covers she did was for... They're both British magazines. One is called NME, mm-hmm. and the other is called Love. Okay. And also, in 2006, she was named the coolest person in rock <laughs> uh, by Enemy. <laughs> and <laughs> What an award. I know, right? I was like, oh, shit. So, yeah. So, she gets this award, and but she was also the first woman to receive that honor. Okay. What, ladies can't be cool? Apparently, according to this magazine. Stupid. Yeah. But then she threw, you know, she was like, this is some real bullshit bullshit," because they didn't even put her on the cover. So 2006, she wins the award. Mm -hmm. They didn't put her on the cover. Mm -hmm. Her second cover, like her second, I guess, big thing with Mm -hmm. this magazine was the cover where she posed nude. Mm -hmm. But yeah, she was like, this is some real bullshit. I don't know. No, I don't, I'm. You call me the coolest woman, and you're not putting me on the cover. Nonsense. Not cool enough for the cover. Stupid. Seriously. So after you know these covers came out, she um got a lot of 
feedback. (laughs) Naturally. Of course. like, fucking haters gonna hate. And I have a quote from her. She says, quote, It's funny how something so normal and mundane that you see every day, your body, Mm -hmm. can be controversial. The shock value is intense. It's like carrying an art piece around with you all the time. Oh. And I fucking love that. I was like, I am a fucking, I'm a masterpiece. (laughs) Thank you very much. That's a really cool way to put that. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, So, let's see. In 2007 and 2008, she wrote an advice column on body image for The Guardian. Okay. And that was called, What Would Beth Ditto Do? (laughs) (laughs) WWBDD, for short. (laughs) And then in 2009, she released a plus-size clothing collection with the retailer uh, called Evans. Okay. She modeled for Jean-Paul Gaultier. Oh, hell yeah. During Paris Fashion Week in October of 2010. And then in June of 2012, Beth worked with MAC Cosmetics to create a makeup collection. So she is among the greats. Yeah. Because you know who else has done that? Rihanna and Lady Gaga and Cyndi Lauper. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. And Selena. And who? And Selena. Post. Post. Posthumously. Posthumously. Exactly. Beth has also worked with the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls, Mm -hmm. which is a thing that started in Portland. Yeah. In 2002. Let's see what else. So, since releasing Fake Sugar, uh, she toured with Sam Smith in 2018. Okay. She, let's see, she, she worked on a film called Don't Worry, He Won't Get Far on Foot, which is her, her character is the role of a recovering alcoholic. Mm Mm-hmm. Her name is Reba. 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 And she's a sassy spitfire of a woman. Mm-hmm. It's a film about John Callahan, who was a, a cartoonist. Okay. Who was um, a paraplegic. And uh-huh. he's from Portland. So it's very uh-huh. Portland-centric. Keeping it local. Keeping it local, for sure. And then she also worked on Kirsten Dunst's series called On Becoming a God in Central Florida. And that's the most... I've never heard of that. Neither have I. But yeah, that's the most recent thing she's worked on. And right now, she's currently parading through Europe with Gossip for their Music for Men 10th Anniversary Tour. Music for Men? That's the title of the album. Oh. It's called Music for Men. (laughs) Okay. And it's the 10th anniversary since that came out. That was one of their, like, most popular Mm -hmm. um, albums. So... Uh, I just thought this was really lovely. I'm going to end it on a quote. It's kind of silly, but I like it a lot. Here is my prescription to heal all wounds. Watch the film Funny Girl at least five times. Eat at least 45 chocolate bars. Mm. And hang out with all those friends you blew off to hang out with your ex. I truly believe that through a combination of Nutella, Old Pals, and Barbara Streisand, we can achieve happiness and very probably world peace. <laughs> oh, that's nice. And that is Beth Ditto. Oh. I need to look her up because I don't think I've ever heard of her. You do. She's, she's, I, look, <laughs> I thought she was great before, before I read her book 
And in addition to reading her book, I read, I Googled just a bunch of articles, the couple from The Guardian. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of scanned her Wikipedia page, but I was like, this is not up to snuff. This is not up to snuff. I'm a fan. I feel like I can identify mm-hmm. with her on a lot of levels. There's a lot of things about her that I see in myself. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that's why I, I you know, read her book in two days. Because I was yeah. like, I need to find the most, like, relevant information. I want to hear her words. Yeah. Not just, you know, what I can find in interviews and Second stuff. Secondhand. Yeah. 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 So that's okay. it. I'm, I was, I'm so happy that I did her. Yeah. That's yeah. really good. That's, it's always nice to do somebody who you greatly admire. Yeah. Especially when you're learning more about them. You yeah. admire them already and then you... I admired her cool. and, and now to know all these things like about her life and her struggles and... Mm-hmm. She's a goddamn gem. <laughs> also, she said that if I... <laughs> she casually mentioned that if we ever bump into her while getting tacos that she'd be more than happy to say hello and stuff. I was like, oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> So that's that. Okay. That's that on that. That's all we got. Yep. Okay. I'm going to do the socials. Okay. All right. If you would like, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram at that broads got moxie, or you can follow us on Twitter at broads got moxie. Mm-hmm. Um, please rate, review, and subscribe. Comment. Tell us that you like us. That's right. Please. We like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, also email us with any like comments, questions, your own personal stories at thatbroadscottmoxie at gmail.com. That's right. Okay. All right. Stay Moxie. That's right. Bye. Bye. Music by Sage Krenning. Cover art by Vinny Navarrete. Produced and edited by Danielle Barsanti. Side effects of listening to this podcast may include excessive moxie, zero tolerance for the patriarchy, sass mouth, excessive sweating, tipsy tittering, desire to stick it to the metaphorical man, fear of cats, empowering women, clammy hands and feet, the inability to do math, lack of patience for the bullshit, thirst for knowledge, questioning the system, cravings for bougie chicken, vodka, and justice, and in some cases can cause death on hills.